Welcome to Counterpressed on The Ringer and Spotify. I'm in the studio with Jesse Bug Humphreys, Becky Taylor-Gill and Kate Longhurst for the first time this Who? year. She's just sorting She's out just her jeans. with her trousers. Hey, what are you doing? I was just tucking my t-shirt in. Did you forget what it was like to be in the studio so much that you're like tr- get, still getting dressed? Yeah, practically. just making myself comfortable. It's good to have you back. It's good to be back. We missed you this year. Yeah, what you mean? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Year. (laughs) Is it too late to still say (laughs) Happy New Year? No, Kate Longhurst, a counterpress listener, (laughs) isn't she? What, um, yeah, what have you been up to? Playing a bit of football. Just getting the bloody top of the league. Yeah, well, just just about hanging on there. And you didn't get sent off yesterday. Congratulations. I didn't, thank you. But didn't get three points, so... (laughs) Would have taken yeah. sending off for three points. Yeah, maybe that was the key. I know. I was very calm yesterday. Probably like the calmest I've ever been. So I was like, I am not reacting to anything. <laughs> so. Yeah. Did you work quite hard? Were you doing some like meditation before to really make? Were you sure? up against the same player? No, she was playing right back. Right. But I do think I had a little bit of PTSD because really? all week I've been a bit like, oh God, I've really got a. It's been tense. Calm myself down. And then the game happened. I was like, oh, that was nothing. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? That is elite preparation. Elite athletes do that. They know they need to prepare themselves for a scenario in case it happens. You learn from your mistake. You're prepared. Yeah. So, you know, true. fail to prepare, prepared to fail, Okay, We're it's, proud of it's you. It's not a mistake if you do it twice, is it? No. It's a choice. Exactly. Wow. wow. Powerful <laughs> words. But in all seriousness should we be preparing the Charlton promotion open top bus parade round Ikea <laughs> round Ikea yeah what is it in Ikea around there yeah, yeah, the Greenwich yeah. Peninsula yeah, brown B- B- B&M no, and the retail park oh my god it's such a retail park Ikea. so the plan was is that we'll get the bus all the squad and Karen will get on we'll drive round the retail park <laughs> do a quick bit in B&M and Ikea come back out head to the O2 maybe got, yeah O2 sorry oh, yeah. It's not a B&M. No. It's a home and bargains, which oh, is even better. Sorry. If you are from the Northwest, you yeah. will understand That's home and bargains level. is the best place in the world. Okay. And when I found out there was one in South London, wow. A life changer. Literally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's still a long way to go. Um, but um, I'll, I'll try and put it in place. If it becomes reality, I'll try and put it in place. Maybe it should be a open top boat parade down the Thames because actually the bank is quite sick. Oh. <laughs> oh dear. That's a shame. Why don't yeah. we go to Scrap where that. the, what's it called? I'll the um, the flood defence thing. What they the Thames Barrier. Barrier. <laughs> Let's go to the Thames Barrier. Yeah, I saw the Thames Barrier for the first time it's beautiful. before we came to watch you play. Beautiful, Literally. beautiful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we that opened up a cable car parade. Yeah, yeah that'd be good. Cut over the We'll need to get applications in early with the council. So if you could let us know, so you can't how if you are listening, yeah, if you let can us do a know vote you with out. your squad, yeah. then we'll be party planners. Okay, yeah. God, I'd love to. Oh my god, please! It'd be that'd like be so fun. good. Okay, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do As it. As I said, there's still a long, long way to go, but I don't want to ruin your dreams. So <laughs> do it. I'll make sure I do it. That will be the extra motivation, I think. Exactly. Yeah. And got FA big FA Cup game coming yeah. up against Tottenham at Brisbane Road. Um, the Charlton Ultras are going will along. We'll be there. Woo-hoo. I have a red flash. Like, bring it. Yes, please. <laughs> will I get in trouble? <laughs> when um, I see it land on the pitch, I'm like, for God's sake. <laughs> I know who that is. Like, I kept telling them not to come and watch me play. They keep turning up. <laughs> Kate, Kate gets sent off. Becky just launches the flag. Like, come on! <laughs> 
man. <laughs> I know you're quite intimidated by the prospect of the beatboxes as well, because you've never experienced the Brisbane Road beatbox before. Well, they if, they're be, if they're going to be there. That's well, the main I've played at Tottenham before. Oh, yeah, true. What am I but I'm in, inside at halftime normally. Oh, yeah, true. So, uh, no, if you get rematch. sent off in the first half, you can be in the stands. I can watch him. Yeah, I can watch I'll bring half. you Red Flair and you can set it off. Okay. I'll Where throw the beatboxes the beatbox are going. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm jealous you guys are going to be there. I'm, I'm away. Should I'm going here. holiday. I know. So Priorities. Priorities. <laughs> but we've got a lot to talk about on today's show because, wow, there was a shock and a half yesterday in Dagenham at the Chigwell Construction Stadium. Where Sam bloody went and beat Arsenal. Hot Can't noodles in the air everywhere. <laughs> Launching that boiling noodle everywhere. Yeah, incredible, incredible scenes. So we got to talk about that because, wow, didn't see that coming. There were two D- big, didn't we? Me, Becky Taylor Gill did yeah. say. The Barclays Prophet. She's yeah. here in the room. Finally, <laughs> someone <laughs> is recognising me and appreciating me. <laughs> Thank you to the Twitter user. Frank Herbie Daly. You've got to give them a shout out. Oh, yes, Frank Herbie Daly. Iconic member of the Chelsea edit. Twitter. That that is, edit was really that good. That is my career highlight, is that someone's clipped up something that I've Why said. haven't you shared it on your LinkedIn yet? Then? So true, actually. <laughs> I'm going to. Wow, that LinkedIn content is really, really going to bang. Uh, there's two big... Skills winding up Arsenal fans. <laughs> will you endorse me? I will. There's two big... Big stories as well that broke on the back end of last week and over the weekend, which was Brighton sacking Mel Phillips and also Jonathan Morgan leaving Sheffield United. So we're going to talk about those stories. So let's get into it after this. Right. This is your rattle warning for Arsenal fans. You might need to skip through this section if your noggin is going to be boiled. Okay. <laughs> and I'm so making this... it my business to boil your noggin. So, but I skip it. I throw this back at you, Becky Taylor Gill. <laughs> Look, your Twitter was giving boiled noggin <laughs> yesterday. So maybe the, the rattler becomes the rattly. <laughs> I said to Jesse after Jesse texted me and was like, I think you went too soon with the Arsenal star. <laughs> and I said, you only live once. <laughs> Becky said, I could have died before the Arsenal-Liverpool men's So game. true. And that was her justification. <laughs> I could, you could have died and you I, wouldn't have a chance She would have had the chance. I so could have just died. to get it out. <laughs> I could have died. And... I wouldn't have used my last opportunity to rattle Arsenal fans. And that would have been her dying. And that, you know, that would have been a real shame. And you, look, I think the most important thing is if you give it, you have to be able to take it a bit. And look, my noggin was bulled by that men's game yesterday. It was I awful. thought so. I thought so. But you got to do what you got to do. And I don't have any regrets. I, I respect you for how much you embody live by the sword, die by the sword. <laughs> yeah, because so the true. way your tweets are getting bookmarked, wow. Wow. That's when you know, like, people are watching your people, every move. People, like, and that, that's why I replied, like, you can bookmark it all you want, babe. Like, Arsenal aren't going to win the WSL. Arsenal aren't going to win the Premier League. I would put, I might put money on it. I'm clipping, I'm clipping but that really, one. The latter more than the former. But. Becky was was not the person who rattled Arsenal fans the most True. yesterday. Kate, did you see this? Oh, I don't know what you're going to say. So. Well, wait for the big reveal. Emily Parker Humphrey, oh, yeah. fed up oh, with being the forgotten Parker Humphrey sibling, <laughs> really went in. She's my protege. <laughs> yeah, you taught her. But also, and it, it, really, nowhere. it yeah. really explains the text I got just before the Chelsea game saying, "Do Arsenal are Arsenal women known as AWFC? <laughs> and I was like, why is she asking this? I love when people workshop the, the content. 
content you, in your in well, WhatsApp. Also, I can reveal, I believe it was being workshopped at home with, with none them. other than <laughs> Parker Humphreys, the Arsenal fan. So why was he why was he contributed to the workshop for his own fans to get dragged? I can't figure out if it's because he wanted to send Emily up on Twitter or I don't he wanted know. To get, I don't know what he wanted was going her to on. get cooked. I so think it was a setup. So. Uh, he told her she should post it because it would be funny. Well, tell Kate what she See? posted. And that's good. Good good vibes from Ed. Good sibling she support. Say. She said, so basically, this all comes down to we haven't really talked about the game yet, about the <laughs> noggins getting boiled. Basically, <laughs> it all comes down story. to the fact that a lot of Arsenal fans were frustrated with the fact that when they scored their goal to go 1-0 up, that no one's none of the players really acknowledged or celebrated in front of the away end. They kind of turned their backs and celebrated as a team. And upon reflection at the final whistle when they'd lost, a lot of people on social media are saying, oh yeah, and by the way, could you celebrate properly in front of the away fans next time? So there was away fan discourse again. Can't escape the away fan discourse like bloody hell. No, and so just to side note, to put we're putting that discourse to bed because it's come to the perfect ending. Arsenal fans being smug about buying a load of tickets in the home end and then losing. So <laughs> that is, it is a very lovely neat bow. So on it. it serves you right. But so, so Emily went and tweeted. Emily tweeted have AWFC fans I should check those is that why she asked if yeah. she's got a sign off have AWFC fans considered their players don't celebrate towards them because they're fucking annoying lol, <laughs> lol. how many quote tweets yeah, is let's it on see the ratio. 36 quote tweets oh no 60,000 views wow. and 21 bookmarks wow wow she got cooked <laughs> and um, so let, give us a little insight in, in the behind the scenes how did she take the cooking. She was she, was, she was loving it. I don't yeah. think it's a cooking if you like it's like that's a win for her, in my opinion, that she's annoyed she them so much. She got what she wanted. Yeah. I mean, she did, yeah. she did, she did, she did, yeah, she posted it with the intention she's, of winding up people. She messaged me to say, I love making noggins boil. <laughs> 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 it's like, it's like, thank you. Whoever, I can't remember the person that made our incredible emoji of noggins being boiled, but it's like Emily's over a stove and there's a noggin in there and she's just putting the seasoning in. Little salt and pepper turning up the heat. <laughs> stirring it wow incredible and if I was an Arsenal fan my noggin would be on fucking Mars oh, oh. boiled. it'd be deep fried air fried like like shriveled because that would rattle sometimes me. I think I go too hard on Arsenal fans but they're just really easy to wind up and it's really funny like if you want me to stop maybe just stop reacting so much also, and I'll pick another team I think no I think the difference is I think it's just because Arsenal are such a big fan base so so much of the social media conversation mm -hmm. is dominated by Arsenal fans which is great and also funny at the same time sometimes because when you see a funny tweet about fandom, there's like a 7 out of 10 chance it's probably going to be about Arsenal Twitter. So that's why it's quite an easy opportunity. And this game with them losing to pretty crap team just created a, a cocktail of dragging. I want to ask Kate if you would, as an iconic goal celebrator... Would you go in and help the Arsenal players learn how to celebrate? <laughs> a little workshop. On a consultancy basis. Let me know. If the price is right, I can work one-to-one. -one. I can help you them You do all. a workshop. Yeah. Kate, you're obviously a West Ham fan, West Ham through and through, no longer there. But did you celebrate this win a little bit? Well, I was playing at the time, so I didn't really know until... No, but afterwards. After. Well, I was happy for them. Yeah. Happy for the girls. Um... 
you know, when I was there, we never beat Arsenal. So we, <laughs> we came close a couple of times in terms of like a 4 3 and a 0 0. That 0 0 last season was a classic. I was there. But yeah, I mean, Daggers. you obviously have to ride your luck a little bit. I think I, I looked at the stats after. I think it was like four shots to 23, 24, something like that. So they had two shots on target. Arsenal or West Ham? West Ham. Oh, wow. So there we go. So it's how is Sissoko. What a goal. What a finish. What a I didn't even know she could kick the ball that far with her left foot, <laughs> let alone put it in the, in the goal. But um, what a finish. Um, so you have to you have to be a little bit lucky sometimes, but I also think you, you kind of earn your own luck as well. And mm. if you defend well and are hard to beat, then you just need to take chances when they come. So, no, I was very happy for the girls. I think it's a huge win for them. Back gives them wins. I well. know. gives them a little bit of breathing space now. I think they're fourth from bottom now, aren't they? So, um, yeah, it's, it's still tight there. But I think, especially with Bristol picking up a point, that was a huge win for them. I don't know if you guys saw this also, but I thought it's really interesting. Um, West Ham became the first side in WSL history to name a starting eleven without an English player. Yes, I did see that. Wow, that is really interesting. Wow, I didn't know that. I'm I'm really surprised that hadn't happened. Yeah, yeah. before. Yeah, we are an international league, yeah. guys. We wow. love to see it. We I do think it's it. quite like indicative of like the way that the league is going. And, yeah, I love um, that. I think it's good. Jesse. We talked about West Ham tax a lot this season and uh, it's kind of flipped itself on its head, but I... I've never been happier to be wrong. I really really want to counter, and I'm sorry to West Ham fans as for the show, but I really want to counter the idea that this is kickstarting something that has been building for West Ham. I truly do think they're still not a very good team. And um, I think there's better individual quality now, which is going to make a massive difference. Katrina Gorey, prime example, like transform their midfield. I think Christy Mewis, you know, we didn't see her yesterday, but she's had a big impact. Vivian Asai is getting a little bit more, you know, service as well. Shalina Zdorsky's got a bit of experience to bring into that back line. But I still don't think this is like, oh, West Ham are back or West Ham are here this season. They really got quite lucky yesterday, especially with that penalty call that probably was not in the box. And I also don't think the contact was that much anyway. But yeah, like, am I right in saying this isn't West Ham being good? (laughs) I did think they were good yesterday. I think... They have not always been good this season, but I do think some of the signings you mentioned make a big difference for what they also allow other players to do. Like I think having someone like Gory in your midfield really frees up other players to sort of find different spaces. And I think you saw that with Honoka Hayashi yesterday, both going forward and defensively. Um, equally, I think actually someone who feels like has really started to come into their own is Rico Ueki. Um, when we played them in the FA Cup, she was such a nuisance and we really struggled to deal with her one-on-one and then obviously that's sort of where the penalty comes from in like Arsenal just really struggling to deal with her runs Um, and like there were a couple of opportunities where West Ham were able to get up the pitch because of the running she does and the threat she offers. Um, So yeah, I I thought West Ham were, were, were good value. I think Arsenal fell into the same traps they've fallen in a lot this season where they have a lot of possession and they have a lot of shots but when you actually sort of boil it down to like the good chances they create especially when they are then behind they really struggle to get into the position to like I think really there's one good chance for Rousseau that's like pretty much it in that kind of like last half hour or so and I think that's what's will be 
frustrating for Arsenal. It's not, they don't feel like a team. Like, you know, when like Man City lost to Brighton, it's like Man City had chance after chance after chance after chance. It was like a weird, unlucky anomaly. Arsenal, I, do, I think in a number of their losses just haven't really felt like that at all. You know, mm. Spurs was the same. You just didn't, it didn't that, feel like that, Arsenal were ever going to score. But that's different as well, Jesse, because so much of the narrative last season was about they are never done, they're never out, mm. and that's why. We, I mean, we saw it in that Villa game at home, but it's why watching them go behind in so many times this season, you still believe that they'll come back. But it feels like that has kind of flipped now and that, like, mentality that you think they're going to come back and that, that gave them so much last season just isn't there now. It's interesting how long it takes to like build a mentality and a culture like that where like the players believe that they're going to come back when they go down and how quickly that can just fall apart. Well, it's interesting because I think part of that mentality came from the feeling that because of the injuries, they were mm. underdogs. And it's something Emma Hayes actually talked about maybe it was even last season or the season before, but like how Chelsea had to adjust because in a lot of their title wins, they'd come from behind, they'd had a points gap and they they almost didn't have the pressure on them. And it was a, it's a different thing to lead. And I feel like Arsenal are encountering some version of that problem where like you are expected to win. You've got these players coming back. You've added to your squad. You don't have Champions League football. Like every game becomes must win. And I feel like it's maybe it's, it's a change in mentality mm. that it feels like they haven't been able to adjust to. Like they're paying, they're, they're paying the tax on everybody saying, like, imagine how good they're going to be when these players come back. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. And and also just that feeling of like, you know, whatever they can do is going to be worth something because, you know, in those, and in lots of those games as well, like it is interesting. Knockout football is very different to league football. And in lots of those games last year where we're talking about Arsenal's mm. mentality, it was the Champions League, which is a different mm. kettle of fish to league football okay the Zinsberger conversation comes up again she punches the ball that comes in rather than catching it and it falls to Howard Sissoko with an unreal finish but it brought up the Zinsberger question again she's just been given a new contract and I feel like Arsenal fans and everyone everyone really we go between this sort of situation where we say like are there that many better options out in women's football right now? Um, and there aren't really. But when you look at a player who does make mistakes quite often, and that is a mistake that, okay, if they'd gotten a point in that game, they would be uh, like a little bit less far out from the, ti- from the title um, race. But there's, you know, they'd still be quite a few points back. But like that is quite a big mistake to make and it I guess it's frustrating when the conversation seems to just always come back to Zinsberger yeah she's she has a lot of good qualities as well I think it's important to remember like she's obviously there for a reason she's not just this awful awful keeper that that is just luckily found herself at Arsenal but I think there's just on too many occasions things that she can do better and I don't know if it's like lapses of concentration or whether it's like a confidence thing but when you've got a keeper that you don't fully trust uh, coming out for things as well I think it also causes hesitation in the defence and you can see that sometimes where Arsenal are defending because they don't really know whether she's going to come for it or is she going to be secure when she does come for it? Sometimes actually rushes their clearances as well and things like that. So, um, like you said, I don't know who was potentially out there in um, January, but I also wouldn't be surprised if they 
tried to go for Mackenzie Arnold in the summer because every time she's played them, she's had a really good yeah, game. It's her best game of the season. Um, Although for the Arsenal goal, she kind of gets caught absolutely. Yeah, nowhere. yeah. But I, I think with the Australian connection as well, I honestly wouldn't be surprised. She's out of contract. Um, I'm not like putting her in the shop window for Arsenal there, but <laughs> I just think... Go to here first, guys. <laughs> I, I think in terms of like, obviously they went after Mary Earps as well, but she hasn't had the best season herself um, and whether that's because a lot of things are going on as well I don't think that you you think about outside influences when you're playing but she hasn't had the best season um, but I do wonder if that's something that they'll look to in the summer because I, I do think they need to change the keeper if I'm honest it's yeah. fine they've got Sarah Bohadi now <laughs> <laughs> yeah and it's so, we go back and forth on it and we have a lot this season on this show but it just feels like in moments like that, where it's such a key, key thing that can make such a difference in your season, I'm like, that's when you need that that extra level. And goalkeepers make mistakes. That's just the reality of football. But when it's mistakes in those kind of moments, you're like, oh, it does cost you a lot. And I think the ERP situation has kind of changed now in terms of where where she might end up and it feels like PSG or State United is the bigger options than, than going to Arsenal. But now that Zinsberg has got a new contract, it's like, okay, people want to back her and they need her to can, you know, potentially continue to improve. But then if you want to be a title winning side, you need that consistency. But in a way, Jesse, Chelsea have not necessarily found that in the last like one to two years. Like Berger has been someone that they've relied on in a lot of their title wins in recent years. But like their goalkeeper situation is still right now this season a little bit of a roundabout. There's no keepers for Arsenal because Chelsea are hoarding. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they will never beat the allegations. Give some up, yeah. But I do think, I mean, obviously this season feels like a bit of an exception, but Chelsea have repeatedly been kept in title races by Anne Katrenberger. And I do think that's the difference between having an, a very, very elite, at least shot stopper, even if we know that like Berger's not great with her feet. And that's obviously why Hampton's now being prioritised. Hayes clearly feels like that's more important to her system right now. But like in through in a number of different competitions, Berger has kept Chelsea in games and help them win games. And I think that's, I understand why some people feel like there's not a better option out there than Manu Zinsberger. But I just, I just would never say that about Zinsberger, that like she's, and I, I don't know, maybe if you're an Arsenal fan, stuff, that kind of stuff, you always remember that stuff better if you're a supporter of a club. So maybe I'm missing something, but I feel like she doesn't have that kind of aura where you back her to pull off something spectacular and even for example especially in big games like I would still I mean Berger's injured right now but like I would still take Berger as my first choice in the Chelsea team because that's her level like that she will make a save that will change a game and I personally don't think the the trade-off with her feet is actually like worth that value but I don't think Zinsberger has that kind of confidence behind her at all Mm -hmm. yeah and like Berger has so much credit in the bank even with her slight like sort of brain fart moments where she does you something take it. wacky. You, you take, you well, remember. I personally, obviously Emma Hayes now doesn't, but like I would take the one or two goals we concede a season from her just booting the ball to an opposition <laughs> player. And it looks stupid and then people remember it. But then if she saves 10 goals a season as well, yeah. being a shot stopper, I'll take it. At the CFA in key title game moments. Yeah. yeah and that's, that's the, the ones one. you remember.
let's talk about one of the other big um, discoursey moments of the weekend, which was the refereeing. We saw it in this game with Melissa Bergen giving the penalty against Seth Catley that would we say definitely wasn't in the box? I think I don't think it was in the box, but I think it was tight. Yeah. And I feel like some of the conversation afterwards has made it sound like, like it was miles. It was a long, long way. But it wasn't. It was, it's contact it's that sort of starts line, outside yeah. the box and continues into the box. My argument, would, I would also add to that, that I don't think there's much contact. But that's my subjective view on the on the. Uh, the I think it's challenge. definitely a foul. <sighs> I don't know. Okay. Well, I'd want it if I'm the attacking team and I'd be mad about it if I was defending team. So Football, eh? Crazy game. Sitting on the fence. Crazy I game. Think it was it was very like if it's on the line, it's a penalty, isn't it? And mm. I do think where there was still contact, it it sort of was on the line as well. So I think it started outside and then maybe continued onto the line. So I, I don't think it's like a glaring error from yeah, the yeah, rest. That's I how think, I feel. Yeah, it's it's really hard mistake. to kind of tell. And then Arsenal fans were very frustrated that Chloe Lacasse didn't win a penalty when Gorey sort of body checked her, which I can understand you'd be frustrated about that because I think that that was pretty clear mm. cut contact. Lacasse has the sort of cliche Sky Sports problem where, oh, she made too much of it. <laughs> which I always hate because I'm like, it doesn't really matter how much she makes of exactly. it. Like, I still think it's a foul. Contact is contact. But so it, I, she does really flop down. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I think they were unlucky with that because I think I think that should have been should have been a pen. But a lot of Arsenal fans yesterday were understandably saying we were crap. So with like regardless of the referee stuff, we also have to take the L, which I think is fair. But let's talk about some other dodgy refereeing at the game you were at, Jesse. Two penalties, Emily Heaslip up to her old tricks again. <laughs> oh, Emily. Poor Claire Wheeler had a nightmare. So the first pen for contact on Canarid, Ca- I believe. Yeah. Um, just can- Wheeler clears the ball and Canarid comes through and goes over Wheeler's leg. Yeah. And then uh, Courtney. Brosnan got booked rather than Claire Wheeler, which was the sort of like confusing thing. Then this, so that penalty gets given, Wrighton scores it. And then we have another penalty in the second half. Claire Wheeler again, this time on Ramirez. And it, she's sort of like grabbing her arm, goes to ground, but pulls out. They're and like Ramirez, holding hands. <laughs> and Ramirez, go, Ramirez goes down. Claire Wheeler does get booked for that one. Um, and yeah, it was it was a tough night for Everton fans, I think, all round. And then we had Brian Sorensen. And for Manchester off. City players, based on their Twitter activities. Oh yes. <laughs> Esme Morgan and Lauren Hemp. And their noggins were boiled. <laughs> and Emily Ramsey at Everton. She, yeah. yeah, Everton, she was going off on Twitter. So yeah, no one was staying quiet on this. Um, no one was free from the rattle yesterday, <laughs> apart from me, actually. <laughs> you were alive. <laughing laughs> but yeah, do you I mean like, Chelsea man? But wasn't on TV, pretended it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they got cooked actually. Um but yeah, that was I mean, Chelsea got a little bit lucky. The third goal was great, but Chelsea got a little bit lucky with those penalties, you have to admit. I think the first one is soft uh, and probably isn't a pen, although I do think Ramirez skips over a tackle that if she'd gone down on that contact would have been a pen. Mm. Um, Not that that makes it okay that it wasn't given, but I'm like, that whole box was just quite chaotic. The second one I do think is a pen. Like I think it's soft and I think Ramirez buys it, but I think unfortunately if you're going to go to ground and make contact with a 
forward running with the ball that is going to get given. Um, so yeah, it is like, I understand obviously if you're Everton fan, like that's annoying. And as I say, I think the first one, probably Chelsea are lucky to get it. The second one, I do think like, that's just the reality of football. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're Chelsea's first penalties in the WSL this season. Sometimes I think this is the thing with the Arsenal thing and the Chelsea thing. Like sometimes decisions are going to go your way and sometimes they're not, you know, there have been instances with, you know, the game at the Emirates, like I didn't think that was a penalty that the one that Russo scored, like sometimes stuff is just irritating and you have to hope for people who don't want VAR in the league, you have to hope that across the season it, it goes the way because I don't think any said, of these three... Said like a true person whose team won yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. If you, like we all, lest we forget the noggin boiling that went down after the Real Madrid game which was like truly <laughs> awful, awful but officiating this also, but this one isn't as bad as that. I will, I will agree with you It's not as bad there. and I do think it makes a difference when I'm like Everton sat back and defended like basically for that entire game and given the chances Chelsea had already created before the penalty I just do not believe Chelsea would not have scored at some Mm -hmm. point and I do think that makes a difference because it's obviously refereeing decisions become and that's why I think the Arsenal one's almost more annoying because like that changes the course of the game there I don't think there was anything I mean Everton fans presumably would say oh like we might have held on for something but I just think realistically, most people that know that isn't the case. They were, they would have probably been broken down eventually. Well, I even mean, because they, well, the they were. One, yeah, third the goal. third goal is great, and yeah. the second one is a penalty, like in my opinion. So I think what doesn't help with the second one is, I think there is contact, and I think there's enough to go down. But if you look at Wheeler's reaction, she's almost like, oh, oh no, I've given away. Another. Yeah. Like her she actual knows. reaction is like, oh guilty. no, I'm in trouble because as soon as you slide, and yeah, she sort of like she sort of went with bent knees, didn't she? It was. <laughs> Almost like, yeah, was, oh, she's got she past like me and then she almost. just sort of drags her a little bit. And I think it's soft and sometimes you won't get that given. But I think if you look at her reaction, she knew she'd caught her and it was almost like she was resigned to the fact she's given away another penalty. I read that reaction more as like, oh, here we fucking go again with this ref. Like, but it was before she blew the whistle, though. I think as yeah. soon as she I went to the floor, she the was like, she's like, oh no. And then the ref blows the whistle. Claire Wheelie, if you're listening, let us know <laughs> what you thought. Jesse, when it comes to refereeing as a whole, I am always team, you win some, you lose some. Because I do think it evens out. And it was interesting earlier this season with everything that's been going down in the Premier League with VAR, when the Athletic, I think, looked at the data on like which teams tend to get the rub of the green most. And it is normally like top six win out. I would love... Jesse, uh, currently working at the Athletic, please put together uh, who wins in the WSL when it comes to decisions. Because you obviously you were saying you know, Chelsea's first penalties in the WSL this season. I would like to know who tends to lean across because I always think, yeah, you win some, you lose some. Like QPR have had some insanely lucky penalty calls for us this season, and then some crap refereeing on the other side. It's like I do think it all kind of comes out in the wash. But anyway, it's, the thing is though, in a league where in ten years of the WSL. No one has ever won it, losing more than two games. It is kind of like, like for us, it's so no, tight. For the us, fact no, it's that like, it's such a short league yeah. is maybe the difference mm-hmm. between yeah that it all comes out in the true, wash of the true of men's football. Like where for if us, you're no, playing around forty the games, mar- the margins are so mm-hmm. tiny. Like, like really, I think that that's the title gone for Arsenal, mm. and that's you know maybe based on a, a couple of dodgy decisions in one game. 
Yeah, and on Sky last night when they were doing like sort of big analysis of the weekend, both Karen Carney and Izzy Critchison said the first, one of the first priorities for Nuco has to be improved officiating. And I do think before we even get to VAR coming in, you've got to just have better officials yeah. in the first place. I think that's true, but I still maintain that none of the decisions yesterday, I think, would have looked out of place with any level of refereeing in this country. Very, you could easily have seen all three of those yeah, given in the They're Premier very League. classic. They're very classic. Well, some of them are very classic subjective um, calls. I suppose the difference with the VAR, if they had VAR in the West Ham game, then that inside the box, outside the box. But if people don't want VAR in the WSL, and lots yeah. of people don't, which I understand, yeah. I would probably be in favour of it because those because those kind of decisions do annoy me more and I think VAR can be used in, in an efficient way. I think way. the offsides especially, we, like, it would really yeah, help. But, offsides. you know, if people don't want VAR, then that's they're the decisions you have to accept because they're not they're not ridiculous. It's not like the Alex Greenwood sending off where you're like, mm. this is so stupid, mm -mm. you know. Before we move on, quickly want to ask you just about Ramirez's debut. What do you make of her? Yeah, I think she's quality. Um... I've, I've really liked her for a really long time, but physically she just looks a level above already. Um, and I feel like it always felt like that was something that was going to suit her in the WSL. Um, Emma Hay said afterwards that she's even faster than she thought she was. And I think you, it's going to take a while for her to like figure out how her relationships with the players around her. Um, she doesn't speak any English, which probably doesn't help. But as Hay has said, pre-match they all speak the language of football <laughs> profound <laughs> truly profound I haven't heard that one before um, but yeah I think even like even for that penalty, second penalty you could see sort of like almost the fear around Everton's defence where she's sort of just barreling through at them and the sense of like you don't know whether to make contact with her you don't know whether she's going to go past you um, yeah I think she's going to be great and actually, lest we forget, I didn't even mention the Brian Sorensen comedy moment, but a new Barclays comedy moment of the of the year. Kate, you were asking for an update on this because um, you you missed it. Uh, so yeah. Jesse's going to give us a play by play of what went down. Well, this is Emma Hayes's version. Yeah, Brian Sorensen with red cards. <laughs> Emma Hayes's version. Um, well, she said that he initially got a yellow card because. I think an Everton player had got injured, and but they were already making a sub and their bench is really thin at the moment and he wanted to change the sub that was being made. And I, it was too late. It was too late. You can't do that. So he got a yellow card for that. And then it sounds like he said something, but I don't know what he said, that meant he got sent off. And when asked whether he deserved it, Hayes said, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I would die to know what he I said. Know, and then he had to make a great comedy march oh, around so long, the King's Meadow pitch <laughs> with his AirPods in, which just cracks me up. Like he's like listening to a podcast. <laughs> he listening to Yeah. <laughs> And it, it was just so funny, like such a long, depressing walk around, shaking his head with an Everton coach or like someone from the Everton staff trying to like shuffle him along and say like, Chelsea would you get on with it? singing cheerio. It was, it was really good. So thank you, Brian Sorensen, for giving us that. So on Thursday, Mel Phillips was relieved of her duties 
as Brighton women head coach. And people were the people were talking on Twitter. People were mad. People were having a mental breakdown. I've never <laughs> seen a manager as popular as Melbourne. <laughs> and it was I was quite surprising. I mean, I think the way it happened was definitely a bit of a surprise because she'd had her pre-match press conference for the Manchester United game just a few hours before she got the sack. So the situation definitely came as a bit of surprise and sort of came out of nowhere. But when you put it in the context of their season, and I really like Mel Phillips. I think she's really great talker and she seems like a really good coach. But when you do look like the situation and where Brighton were slash are the the recruitment that had happened in the summer after she'd, she'd been there obviously and come in and been there for a couple of months already and the fact that there's been very little progression really I don't think it's the biggest surprise it was not necessarily a crisis crisis like something needs to change dramatically but you could kind of understand when you're like okay we've backed you we've given you these players you've recruited and there isn't totally a lot to show from it. And people look at the Man City result and think, oh, but they beat Man City. But that game, like we mentioned earlier, was a bit of an anomaly. They got a draw against Manchester United early in the season, which is probably one of their best performances of the season. But her overall record was not good. They'd lost seven of their 12 games this season. They're currently second from bottom. They're five points ahead of Bristol City, which is, you know, is a little bit of a cushion, but they don't have a lot to show from it. And at the start of the season, we were saying, you know, they've got a lot of new players. They've got a lot of new players. It might click. It might click. And it hasn't clicked, Kate. So I can't say I'm super surprised. It's a really difficult one because They've obviously pitted themselves as saying they want to break into the top four. I think when you look where they were last season, to go from that to top four is just, in my opinion, it's crazy. There's, there's not really an easy way of doing that. I think there's such big gaps between the so-called top four and the rest of the teams that just because you invest money and you bring in a lot of players, it doesn't mean everything's going to click and, and you can do that straight away. I do think they've had a, a huge overhaul of players. Uh, she's obviously brought in players that she feels could do a job and they've spent money there as well. Um, but they're a very data-driven club as well. I know that everything that they do is off of data for players. It doesn't necessarily mean it's all going to work and, and click um, on the pitch. Uh, but I do think there were signs of progression there. Um, but it's hard when you're not getting results. Um I don't know. I think if you're going to bring in that many players, I would like to see a manager given a little bit more time to see if they can do that. I think the first season, I think she needed a full season with the team, if I'm honest. I don't know who they bring in now that can then work with that group of players and then challenge for top four. It's just, for me, it just seems so far off it. So I would have liked to seen her get a full season and see where they're at. If there was obviously risk of relegation, um, at the time of her sacking, then of course you might have to view it like that. But I think I think she should have had more time. I think the data driven stuff is really important here, and I think this is where maybe there's like some disagreement between people because Brighton are very data driven, and all of the data says she was rubbish, mm-hmm. <laughs> or like Brighton mm-hmm. were rubbish under her. Like they have had their expected goals differential differential hasn't gone above minus one all season for context Bristol City currently have a better 
expected goals differential than that. Like Brighton are the worst team in the league based on the underlying numbers and have been all season. And stuff that's given them that buffer is things like, for example, that win over Manchester City, which I ran the numbers on it and there there was a 5% chance that Manchester City scored zero goals in that game. They were more likely to score five goals. So if they played that game 100 times, only on 90 on 95 occasions, City get something. Um, and I understand the thing with lots of players coming in. And I do think that's tough. But I also think what would concern me is feeling like she's not done a very good job at integrating those new players into the team. And there's been a lot of like sort of shuffle and there's been a lot of in and out. Um, you know, like Carabali gets this really good run in the team, then suddenly she's not playing. Paulina Bremer's like really struggled, I think, to to look good um in it. And like maybe you just say, okay, well, they were the wrong signings, but ultimately Brighton as a club are gonna say, well, is it the signings? Because we think we've signed, you know, the quality of a player who scored in a Champions League semi-final last year. Is it like, is it them or is it the manager? And I can see why when you look at the underlying numbers, you would be like, it is the manager. I think the other thing that goes against Phillips is she has almost no pedigree at this mm -hmm. level. So you can't you can't look back and say, okay, well, you know, she struggled to, to embed her ideas right now, but we know that she's done X or Y. So we trust that it's going to come. You've got no real proof of that. And I think that's, again, what makes it hard. I get the idea of wanting more time. And I also get why, like, people, like, being like, oh, they are aiming for top four. But, like, Brighton weren't even close to being the eighth best team in the league, let alone top four. And regardless of whether that's their stated aim long term, it's also understandable that they don't want to be the worst team and they are the worst team. Well, also, when you look at the, we, we spoke about this before, when you look at Bristol City, the fact they have a very clear identity, a very clear style of play with, in terms of quality of players, the least quality in the league, but can still get results. The situation is that if Bristol City put together a bit of run and win two games and Brighton continue poor form, then Brighton have the potential to be relegated. And I think that's probably what tipped them over the edge. It's like, it didn't feel like a proper proper crisis because they had some results that sort of, I think, paved over the cracks and it felt like, oh, there's enough quality there, maybe a little bit like West Ham to get them out of danger. But then you think, yeah, but Bristol City is such a united group with a bit of experience, a bit of young, uh, like some really talented young players who are grafting so hard to get results. That could turn around quite quickly and then you find yourself in serious trouble. I mean, the flip side of that is I'm sure people will say, well, the risk is what happens now. And I think that that is the thing that I would be like question marks over is the timing, the timing and who they've got lined up because yes, I don't think Phillips was doing a good job. And to that extent, I'm like, I personally don't have any qualms about letting her go, but this feeling like they don't have someone lined up to come in. Like this isn't a new thing. Like Brighton haven't, it's not like actually that I think this is why it's taking people by surprise. It's not like Skinner at Tottenham where she's lost game after game after game. She's had these like smattering of some good results. Clearly Brighton haven't been that impressed by it, but why don't you have someone mm. ready? But that's why if it felt why like are you letting her doing a press conference and then it, well, yeah, yeah, it, it felt like a decision, like you were saying, Kate, um, it felt like a decision that would maybe more likely come at the end of the season for changeover rather than mid-season. But it's like there's almost a panic about it looking at their place 
in the table and thinking, oh, we better do something now. But the succession planning was kind of non-existent. Yeah, I don't really know. Like for the players as well, there's then uncertainty because you're just like, well, who's coming in now then? Who's going to be the manager? And by all accounts, it, you know, it sounded like everyone was pretty shocked at the yeah. situation. Um, I mean, I, I can't speak for the players. I don't know how they felt about um, Mel Phillips as a as a person, as a, a coach. But I, I agree with what you're saying in terms of, yes, like maybe the product that they're producing is, is not good enough and that, you know, they're not creating a lot. They are conceding a lot of chances. I just think when there is that high turnover of players, so you have to give someone a chance. And yes, she's, she's you know, she did well at London City. I think she you know in the championship it's a completely different kettle of fish it's not it's not the same type of league championship to WSL it's it's very different so yeah she hasn't got that background of going this is exactly what I can deliver and this is what I can do um but I do think if you're going to bring all those players in they're almost look into that manager as right this is what we're trying to work towards this is what we're trying to achieve and then you bring someone else in again they had that last season with a lot of disruption um and then the new manager that came in it was almost like a panic situation where they brought someone in because they needed someone and he completely wasn't the right fit and you know the players really didn't like him so I think they've got to bring someone in that's got the right culture that can help the players, but they also need someone that's going to get them results if that's their main aim is results and it doesn't matter how you get them. I don't know who they go and find. It's funny, isn't it, to talk about like they're so data-driven and it's all like, you know, it seems like very, um, yeah, it's data-driven and it's not like, but they've panicked and they've done something that mm. or even if they're looking at the data and it's based on the data, it just seems like a weird, if they've not got anyone lined up, they've done it two hours after she's done a press conference before the weekend's fixtures. It's like those two things like don't quite align with each other. If I was going to be really, really cynical, because I know they share like a lot of stuff across the men's and women's, but obviously there's going to be a focus on the men's. To me, it almost feels like somebody sh- turned up to a meeting and looked at the numbers and thought, holy shit, we're crap. Yeah. Let's fire her. Like, that's mm-hmm. almost how it feels mm-hmm. to me. Um, Came like in from the just, cold who hadn't really been paying attention. A little then, bit yeah. and was just like, oh my God, we're awful. Because that is, if you look at just look at the numbers, that's what it is. I kind of don't really think the performances were getting any better, but other people I know disagree and that's fine. Um but yeah, that's how it feels. I think that's why it feels rash. Yeah. Let's talk about one of the other big stories as well. Broke on Friday. Jonathan Morgan sacked as Sheffield United head coach. Then came out on Saturday morning, Daniel Taylor in The Athletic with a really big piece, speaking with Morgan himself and also the family and the player herself, uh, a player that Morgan admits he had a relationship with while uh, Leicester City coach a number of years ago. So this was a story that obviously um, hits hard for a lot of people in football um, and out of football as well. And it's a story that I think, you know, we've seen before with Mark Sampson when he was sacked as England manager a few years ago. And we've seen it a lot in the NWSL recently. But I think in England, we're in this place, or like in British women's football, we're in this place where we haven't quite had the moment that changes the game and brings about maybe more 
concrete policies and there are policies in place by the FA in regards to uh, players or um, this is across multiple sports as well around safety of people that are under the age of 18. But when it comes to adults and consenting relationships of which we have, you know, this was, that we don't necessarily have the framework in place to ensure that people are protected in many ways. And that complicates things because, you know, this player, in her own words, in this piece, talks about how, you know, she felt there was an element of control and and sort of, um, you know, it, it, it in reflection, she feels, and now she's older, that the relationship was you know, strange to her. And she only has that kind of awareness looking back. But it feels like in women's football in England, we haven't yet had that moment where things change and people sort of speak openly about situations such as this. And it feels like we're sort of blindly going through everything and more, more stories like this come out and it sort of doesn't change much. And like, these sorts of stories aren't surprising and lots of players were reacting in that way when the news came out over the weekend saying, you know, this is this is just standard behaviour in women's football. But it does feel like, you know, what is it going to take for someone like this to bring about more support and safety for players? Like, Kate, in your experience, having been in the game for a while now, like you must not be surprised by seeing a story like this come out. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I know there's there's probably been a few situations similar, um, not even necessarily in the same nature, but I think there has to be a process at clubs where especially young players coming through. I think there has to be a process put in place where people know who to go to about things, um, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable, um, that everything can be confidential, everything is safe and secure, you're not in trouble for, for saying things or concerns. If other players have concerns, who can they go to? There has to be a process put in place because I think sometimes people don't actually know who to go to. Sometimes it can be... Um, it's very difficult if no one knows about the situation. You can't force someone to say something. And they might also see there's nothing wrong with it, like I said, with the player involved. At the time, she didn't see anything wrong with it as such. It was just, this is what's happened. And uh, it's a really difficult one, but I think there has to be more in place. But what I will say is that when I know from previous experience where people have raised concerns, and again, not not necessarily exactly the same situations, but where people have raised concerns and gone to the people that they're supposed to be able to speak to and high up, nothing gets done. And you're made to feel that, you know, oh, you know, we've looked into it and and it won't happen again. It's drawn a line under. And these people continue to work in football, or even if someone then leaves the job, they can then also go and get another job because a club doesn't want the bad press. They'll say there's a mutual agreement of terminating a contract or, you know, or it, you can even look at it as, oh, this was a football results thing at the, at the end of a season or whatever. And people go, well, that was a bit of an odd decision or why have, why have they gone? And then you see them in another job three months later and you think, 
well, no one's done anything about this. So then they can do that again and they can continue to do that and they can continue to get jobs because clubs don't want to look bad as if we've had this situation at our club and, you know, it's it's not even about the club taking responsibility for it. Actually, how powerful would it be to go, we as a club do not stand by this and this person shouldn't be working in fo- in women's football or in football in general. Um but they won't do that because it's, it brings publicity onto them that they don't want. And then you've got potential of, I don't know, lawsuits and stuff like that. I don't know how it works. But, you know, if if a manager or someone that's in, supposed to be in charge doesn't actually kind of agree with what they're saying, I guess there could be repercussions. So it's a really, really difficult situation. But I think... At the beginning of every single season, I think clubs have to look at themselves and you can turn a blind eye, but it's the responsibility of a club to make sure that everyone knows the processes, who they can go to. It's a safe space. It's confidential. And this is the repercussions. If it happens, you will be trusted and we will help you where we can. And listen, sometimes people are going to make stuff up because of football, but I really don't think that's the case in terms of a lot of situations. And we continue to see the same people still have jobs in football. This was before Leicester were part of Leicester as a Premier League group. Um, and the, the chairman was Jonathan Morgan's dad. The captain was his sister. The general manager was his sister. Who do you go to in those situations? And I think um, the mum of this girl speaks in the article about, I didn't know what to do and I didn't want to harm my daughter's career and I didn't want to drive a wedge between me and my daughter at a time when I knew that she was in a in a relationship that was you know what's the word for it potentially problematic yeah um and so I think that it's like everything you've just said is um exactly it like who do you go to who do you trust and especially in this situation even if it was now and when Leicester are part of you know a bigger organization that's really difficult for anyone to have that conversation but in that scenario that is like like the power imbalance is so so huge and it's just yeah it's it's really tough to read the story from this girl and her you know realize as an adult and I don't don't know about you guys but I've had situations like that where I've looked back on things that have happened to me when I was younger that I thought were okay and I look back and I think oh no I'm I'm an adult now and I understand that that was Mm. really dodgy and it's really difficult to read I think yeah it, it, it is and I think you know to what you were saying Kate this protection that forms around people we saw it with what happened in the Nabisar with Paul Riley now he was accused of sexual misconduct have to reiterate in this situation both parties it was a consenting relationship but what happened with Paul Riley is that he you know he was moved on from jobs but no one passed on the reports around his misconduct so you know that or it was passed on and it was just ignored and i think that's the most frustrating thing is like these the, the, the cycle just repeats itself and where i feel like the end of sl which you know these leagues will never be perfect but they credit to the league for and alex morgan for the way she rallied around those players they had they didn't have an anti-harassment policy in which is crazy but you know they do now and they had they had the whole yates report which led to 
Rianne Wilkinson stepping down from the thorns because she was very transparent with a relationship that started to, you know, happen with a with a with a player that she was coaching. But those things are important because that transparency is very important. And I feel like football is always treated as a different this, uh, you know, separate world and ecosystem because that's the way it is. And we see it across everything and relationships, sex, abuse across the men's and women's game is treated in that way as well, because it's football is this whole seismic, you know, separate unit. But when it comes to this, it's almost like, a, you know, oh, don't worry about this kind of thing. It's just like accepted in the game. You've kind of got to deal with it. Whereas in a lot of other work environments, I think you put yourself in that situation, you think, actually, would we accept that? Would we say that's okay? Probably not. And would we, you know, would we report things? And like, we've all been in situations, I'm sure, outside of football where we've reported things in a workplace that do just get ignored. So th that's not something that's exclusive to the game. But it does feel like things are treated so differently and people are just expected to kind of like get on and deal with this behavior because that's just the way it is. It's like, you could. I you know, this is a societal problem, obviously, and football is just like a small example of that. But I think there's like so many things that, because football is a game, I think there's so many examples of times, like even like, you know, sillier things like the players um, getting paid a lot in the men's game or um, complaining about like, game load and stuff like that I think because people are like oh well it's a game and you're so lucky that you get to like be a footballer that's like you know so many kids dreams that a lot of those problems are kind of like well you know that's just what you have to deal with as a footballer and actually like you know football is a a small environment that is indicative of like a larger culture, but it's also a place where we can put those things that we would like to fix in, you know, a patriarchal culture into practice and help try and solve those issues. I think also sort of what comes into what you're talking about is this idea that in football, the success of the club will always come first and over the person. And I think that's what feels very frustrating about this situation and the sort of parallels it has to the Mark Sampson sacking, whereby when clubs or football associations sort of feel like they need to get rid of someone, but they can't for whatever reason do it over the sort of original accusations, mm -hmm. then suddenly they're able to dig up something that allows them to move on. And you're like, okay, so did you really do your due diligence before in any meaningful mm -hmm. way? Because suddenly, and you know, to a certain extent, obviously, in this situation, someone has like come forward and been willing to talk about it. And like, I can't honestly say, like, none of us can honestly say, like, how much was sort of known or not, or not known. But I just think, like, footballers talk and gossip, and everyone knows about these things a lot of the time. There's so much stuff that like sits under the surface, and it is obviously not the case that as soon as you're sort of in a like management you know like front front office type management position at the club you're like immune to like having heard these mm -hmm. things and i think that's what's so frustrating is like everything will be ignored as soon as it's not convenient to you like what kate was saying and in both the samson case and in this case it's when stuff starts reflecting badly mm. on the club and the football team and then suddenly something is found that allows them to move on from it well also what's so sort of frustrating and this is you know not to toot our own horn but like 
what Daniel Taylor's done with this piece, and he's historically been one of the best writers in football doing this because he was the one who broke the story with Enia Luko, actually, and the Mark Sapson comments way back when, and the story around young players being abused uh, in the 80s and 90s. So he's done a lot of work in this area, but he was actually approached by the family and, and the young woman that this concerns as a result of his reporting around Sheffield United and what happened to Maddie Cusack. So they saw this piece and thought, hang on a minute, we want to talk. And what's so frustrating is, why does it take such a heartbreaking, tragic situation and then a journalist reporting on it for a player to feel like, okay, now it's my time to speak? A player who is also no longer involved in the game. And that's always what it feels like it takes. It takes someone who doesn't have, in quotation marks, anything to lose. And that's why, going back to what Kate said, it's like when you are involved in the game, especially a game where you're not going to earn a lot of money, there's not a lot of teams, there's about two tiers you can earn any a living in and there's a, not that many teams you can earn a living with. It's like, what do I choose? This player happens to not really be involved in the game anymore. And when the end of it sells, the same thing. Those players stepped away. Now, some of them have stepped back in after telling their stories and feeling like they're safe to come back. But there are so many stories that will never get told because people fear about the consequences. And I do feel like, you know, go back to the FA and the WSL here is that when everything broke with the NWSL, people were looking to the WSL and saying, right, when is that time coming? And everyone's just kind of had their fingers in their ears thinking, you know, any day now, but we'll probably be okay. We'll just coast. We'll just coast. Now it's like, okay, is this going to be the tipping point? Because something's got to give, something's got to change. And people have to start looking after each other, protecting each other and not taking advantage of people when, you know, there's situations across the whole game. I'm talking about more broadly here. Like this is people's lives, it's people's careers. And yeah, I just feel like we're in such a critical point now. And will this bring about much change? I don't know, but it, we're all kind of waiting, I guess. So big week for our great cup competitions. We've got the Conti Cup quarterfinals midweek. I think a lot of people have their eyes on London City Lionesses Arsenal for that one. Ruisha, oh, that was weird. Ruisha. <laughs> I like read it in my head. <laughs> Ruisha Little John, what have you got for me? Oh, she oh, has the potential to do the funniest the thing. The Arsenal noggin. <laughs> oh my God, the boiling. Do you think we'll get an FA player streaming record on this game? Potentially. <laughs> Actually, I don't think the FA player is ever going to have seen a num numbers like this. Oh, London City are going to get their biggest attendance, yeah, surely. surely. In Everyone Dartford. out in Dartford. Yeah. Meanwhile, Becky and I will be at Chelsea Sunday. The pick. Becky's going to be in the away end. I am. Really? Oh. Wow, what are you doing in the away end? Well, I'm going with a Sunderland fan. Oh, cute. Um, and we... Or tickets in the away end. I was going to say, well, now, but this is so funny because Becky's made such a rod for her own back because she's <laughs> I so. To, yeah. I literally <laughs> did that. I was like, oh, so you're in the away end. So die hard. You can never step foot in a never home be end in a home end ever, ever again. again. We're going to get people sending pictures of the Calvary Twitter being like spotted <laughs> in the home end. I have, no, it's okay though because I have the Liverpool Supporters Club away tickets. Like, Web page saved in my bu bookmarks. So, like, uh, if there's an away end for Liverpool, I will always be in it. And on Sunday at London City Lionesses, there wasn't. So, I'm just going to. 
when you see me in the home end in Dartford on uh, Sunday. You're in the home end on Sunday. That's because there wasn't an away end. Okay, okay. <laughs> I checked, I checked, and London City said. There is your little John, you have the opportunity <laughs> to pull Becky out. Oh. No, but there's just, it's so funny because you've made so much extra admin for yourself. I just love it. I love it. It's going to be, oh, it's going to, it's going to deliver the goods. But then we also have FA Cup magic, which you just said this weekend. I'm going to do, I'm going to, oh, wow, what a week of football for me. Conti Cup on Wednesday, FA Cup twice. That, the having weekend. that first Charlton game on Saturday. Are you in the home or the away end? Was there an away end? Yeah. Oh, <gasps> Becky bought a ticket. <gasps> Oh. Becky, I did. I did love Clip it. Becky. that up. Clip that up. She's going to be celebrating it, when we score. I will. Li- oh, I will God. literally buy other tickets. Yeah, you, I think I you should. should buy other tickets. I should. Can you get us in, Kate? Because I looked. I, went, I don't know how many tickets I can get. Surely they have, no offense, told them they haven't sold out. Though, the way or just, I mean, surely you can just. Walk I went on the Charlton website. website. Let's do this admin after the no, show, guys. guys don't yeah. worry no, about no. It. I need. I need to clear my name. I need to clear my name. Is that I went on the Charlton website. There wasn't any away tickets I, w- I looked on Twitter I looked for a Charlton <laughs> this is what I mean about the admin yeah. Yeah. Hard I, I looked for I looked for a Charlton women's supporters group on Twitter couldn't find one so should we just message Karen directly I, maybe yeah, she'll yeah, yeah. 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 Karen yeah. please get in we touch <laughs> if you know if there's a Charlton away and how Becky can get tickets is it on the website? It's <gasps> on the website. It wasn't when I Screenshot, looked. Screenshot, okay. drag it. That took drag it. 10 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> You've just gone through every it obviously, option. It obviously wasn't there when I It looked. says seats available. Okay, well, Maybe you should see if you can return the Spurs ticket. Or just, you know. I'll just put them up for sale on Twitter. Right. I heard all this stuff sold out. Daniel Levy needs an extra bit of cash, I heard. So just donate. It's That's fine. True. Anyway, you're going, you're going to Tottenham Charlton on the Saturday. And then you're going to London City Lionesses Liverpool. On the Sunday in the home end, and <laughs> there is no. <laughs> well, I mean, after all, you just found out. I, I don't trust know if you. I believe you. I will send you the website. On, when I bought the tickets on London City <laughs> website, it was like we, you can only exclusively buy tickets on this website. So noggin, <laughs> consider your noggin absolutely boiled. Anyway, uh, we've also got Arsenal Man City on the Sunday. That's going to be a, a laugh and a half. That is going to be a match up of the eight. Ages. I can't wait. Uh, any other ones to look? Oh, Southampton, Man United. Who knows? Southampton at that home. Be fun. Loving what they're doing. Chelsea Palace. Few. Are those Loney's going to play after Loney Arsenal? Watford, I've got no idea. No idea if they're playing or not. Well, we'll have to find out. Uh, and this is a reminder as well. If you want to be featured in our Valentine's Day episode, I will reshare the form. But there's a form on the Counterpress Twitter and my own feed that you can either share your love story. Ask for some advice or take part in the counterpressed matchmaking. Uh, I've, we've already had quite a few entries, actually. Really? So, yeah. so exciting. So we're going to be, Kate, myself, and Jilly, and Becky, we're all going to be doing matchmaking and we're going to be doing our best job, guys. I'm, I'm going to be like when they're on Married at First Sight and they're like matching them up with like the pictures. And yeah. oh, it's going to be so good. And then we're really hoping we're going to get Lockin our first counterpressed, <laughs> counterpressed baby, counterpressed oh wedding. Oh, my God. It would be we, epic. Obviously, you'd need to invite us. Yeah, of course. Oh, we're be at the top um, table. Well, <laughs> anyway, yeah, if you do want to be featured, please fill that in and do it before like ASAP because obviously Valentine's Day is quickly approaching. So we need them by the 8th of Feb, please, everyone. So get filling that out. Can I put my own name in? Yeah. yeah. Wow, one lucky counter. Listener, like, 
could end up with Kate Longhurst. Wow. <laughs> if that's not an incentive, I don't know what it is. I think next year we should go even bigger and we should do like a counter-press speed dating <gasps> night. I've got big plans. I thought like you were going to say like counter-press blind date with Kate. Oh, <laughs> oh Christ. On, on, on the mic. That'd yeah. be my worst nightmare. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that would be, no, so be my worst nightmare. <laughs> anyway, we've been going on forever well, you today. Better, you better get, get someone to put a ring on it before next year. We've got big plans for you. All right. Pawned as in P A W. Sure, 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 sure. Anyway, her career. We've got to go. We've got to go. We've gone on too long. It's taken. It's taken a turn. We will see you on Thursday.